Have you ever dreamed of one day owning your own business, but just don't know where to begin? Then you've tuned into the right show. On All Things Franchising, you will hear from top national franchisers, successful franchisees, attorneys, CPAs, and others who support this fast-growing business model. So grab a cup of coffee and pen and notepad, because you will want to capture the invaluable information you hear on today's show. And now, here is your host, Linda Ballesteros. Hey folks, welcome to All Things Franchising. This is Linda Ballesteros. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'll be your host, and we're going to be uh, talking about some great stuff, so I hope you have your pen and paper in hand because you're going to want to take notes. I'm always honored when someone spends some special time with me and they carve out time out of their busy day because, as we all know, that we have a lot of demands these days. So I appreciate and I want to thank you very much for spending some time with me today. So today we're going to be talking about the elderly and disabled service industry. Recently read an article that went like this. The future is bright for the elderly and disabled service industry. The industry has grown rapidly with revenue estimated to have increased to $58.1 billion in 2020. In 2020 alone, revenue is estimated to increase by 1.3%. So you can definitely see that this is a growing market and continues to grow. So today my guest is Mike Magid and Nicole, Nicole, I'm going to do my best here, Nicole Kosmogzewski, and they are both with Griswold uh, Healthcare. Mike is the chief operating officer and Nicole is the Franchise Development Manager. Please help me in welcoming them to the show. Hey, guys, welcome to the show. Hey, welcome. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. We're, absolutely. I'm really glad to have you. And I hope I didn't butcher your name too much there, Nicole. I'm, I know what that's like. With a name like Ballesteros, I get all kinds of, all kinds of renditions of that. So, guys, you know, as I was saying, the – the, this particular industry is really growing, and it, it appears to be growing even more so in 2020. And, folks, we're going to be talking about 2020 a little later in the show, uh, just so that you know if you're listening to the recording. This is October the 26th of 2020. So uh, it has impacted every industry, and I have a feeling it's impacted this one as well. So. Um, Mike, tell me a little bit about how you, um, what your background is, and why were you drawn to Griswold Healthcare? Sure. Um, so I, I, I personally have been in the franchising industry for 30 years. Uh, I spent uh, that time in three different franchising uh, organizations. One first was in health and fitness, and then I moved to automotive and. Uh, over the last 10 plus years now, I've been with Griswold Home Care, and the um, reason I came to this company is, uh, well, there's multiple reasons, but if I stay very high level, uh, it's my connection to the services and uh, outcomes that companies like Griswold provide. Uh, I was a, um, uh, an individual that had experiences in dealing with these types of services, both skilled and non-skilled in my own family. Uh, two immediate mem family members of mine 
in my truly immediate family have passed away in the last seven years. Um, and so, you know, going through the experiences of watching their health decline and, you know, figuring out what you're going to do and how you're going to, you know, take care of them and who's going to take care of them uh, as a family caregiver for many years. Um, coming to this company 10, a little over 10 years ago was uh, just a very natural transition for me. One, because of my experiences, and two, because of my desire to want to make a difference and give back both to my local community and uh, to the larger community at whole. So it was just easy for me, and I, I always tell folks here at our company that um, I haven't worked uh, I haven't felt like I've worked over in the last 10 years because being at this company is like being at home for me. It's, it's, it's who I am. Uh, what we do. Oh, that, that is an awesome feeling. And, you know, Mike, I think we get to that certain age where we do have to transition into maybe caring for a loved one, whether it's a parent, whether it's a spouse or a sibling. So many people can certainly relate to that. So Nicole, tell me a little bit about what drew you to Griswold. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, my, my background primarily had been uh, prior to coming to Griswold Home Care, uh, in, I did a lot of nonprofit work, and then I also was in laboratory sales, uh, both of which I spent quite a bit of time in. Uh, and then I had the pleasure of meeting Mike Majid and uh, learning more about Griswold Home Care. And at the time, I was uh, just coming off of uh, a personal experience with my grandmother, um, who had since passed away, but um, it was important to her to remain in her home in her mm-hmm. last days. And so I drew quite a connection to Griswold because of the services that were being provided. Um, mm-hmm. It was ingrained in me to do something where I was giving back to my community as well. And so the opportunity to come over to Griswold really kind of brought both my sales world as well as my giving back nonprofit type world. Um, it really brought mm-hmm. those worlds together. And so mm-hmm. I've never looked back. It's been an amazing experience. And I joined Griswold in uh, April of 2019. So mm. I joined the family, and it's been wonderful since. Nice. So, Nicole, you mentioned services. So what kind of services does Griswold uh, offer to their, their patients? Their, I don't want to say patients, clients. Yeah, so all of our services that are provided by caregivers are all non-medical in nature. Um, so they really focus on the activities of daily living. So personal care, bathing, dressing, hygiene, um, as well as the instrumental activities of daily living. So um, think cooking, mobility, housekeeping, errands, transportation, companion care, all of those services are incredibly important to helping someone with, uh, with a need uh, to remain in their home. Absolutely, go ahead. Uh, and then what we have done more recently, uh, just in our long 38-plus year history, a lot of uh, the folks that we work with, uh, when we go into those homes, uh, they, they don't, there's no clinical diagnosis for where they're at cognitively. And mm-hmm. so one of the major things that we do, even as a non-medical company, um, through a vendor partner of ours, is to assess the cognition levels of the people that we service because it has such an impact on the care uh, matching and the care, uh, you know, uh, satisfaction 
And so we, we have a mental wellness program that not just identifies where they may be cognitively and what we might be able to do about that, but we also address uh, anxiety and depression uh, as well as their uh, functional mobility so that we can provide the type of care and provide the type of outcomes uh, that the families and the care recipients we work with are looking for. So that's been an added component to ours over the last couple of years as well. And I think that's a really important added piece, Mike, because many times families are not able to put their eyes on their loved ones, whether they're working, whether they live out of town. And it's important for them to know um, if mom or dad is declining, you guys would have the best opportunity to see that first, wouldn't you? Yeah, and, and without, without any clinical diagnosis, you know, uh, it makes it even harder because, you know, most families, uh, I, I say this with, with all due respect, but most families are in denial in terms of right. where a loved one is in their aging process. And, you know, that denial comes out in ways uh, or they're expressed in ways such as, you know, dad's a little bit forgetful. Mom has a little, she's a little uneasy on her feet. And then obviously right. we go into the home and we see a, a different story. And without that diagnosis, it is really hard to meet the client's needs and to provide the types of care that they're looking for unless we do some type of assessment to understand where they're at. Mm, mm. That's so important, so important. So when you're talking about um, some of the services that, that you provide your, your clients, um, does that mean taking them to doctor's visits or grocery stores, um, or is it strictly just in-home care? Nicole, you want it to take can, that? It, yeah, it can, be, it can definitely include uh, transportation to mm-hmm. um, really any location in the community. If they need to go to the grocery store, if they need to go to a doctor's appointment, um, but then, yes, also in-home care it is provided. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, I'm sometimes... Like- uh, go ahead. So I might add to that. Uh, it's actually, it's actually, believe it or not, uh, the in-home work that we do is really, really important from the day-to-day, you know, uh, functionality standpoint, from a health standpoint. But the incidental transportation uh, is really, really important to keep uh, aging folks socialized. But also, right. uh, as they're as they're dealing with acute issues where they may have to get to doctor's appointments, they may have to get to, you know, um, pharmacies in order to get their medications. You know, not having somebody around to do that uh, becomes real challenging because they may get discharged with a plan and then there's nobody there to help them execute that plan. And a lot of times that plan is follow-up visits to their primary, uh, you know, uh, therapy visits, you know, getting them to where they need for food and water so they have – those, those things in their home, that part becomes important as you're trying to help somebody recover from an acute incident. Sure. And, you know, those may sound like very uh, simple tasks. And for me, I'm able to go right out my door and get in my car and go buy groceries. But it becomes a really big deal when they can no longer drive, when they really don't know what they need to buy. Uh, to have in in the house? Uh, Do they need some of the essentials? Do they need to get a prescription? So that becomes a very stressful, stressful event in their life, doesn't it? 
Yeah, the, the, the other thing around is social, you know, it, it creates independence, loss of independence. Yeah. Uh, really beginning of uh, where you start to see social isolation, which is, mm-hmm. is a real, real horrible mental condition to have to go through as you're aging in place. To, to feel isolated, to feel disconnected from the community at large, not having maybe family in the area, um, those things become, uh, in, in essence, they exacerbate uh, the health conditions of, a, of, a, of, of an individual because sure. of the depression sets in or the anxiety they're dealing with with social isolation. So having, you know, for what you and I may do every day that we take for granted, uh, when you get to a certain age, you don't take those things for granted anymore. You become very dependent and reliant on somebody else to, to make those things happen for you. And it's a very, very difficult challenge as people age to get through that mental challenge of not having the strength or the mental acuity or the ability to do for themselves. And we know that a lot of the people we're working with, you know, are under what we call the silent generation right now, which is those 1926 and 1946 babies who are fiercely proud and independent. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. all those dynamics, and it takes a skilled caregiver to be able to manage those dynamics. Yeah, most definitely. So, Nicole, as I'm, I'm listening to you all describe what someone would do on a regular basis to help um, your clients, when you're looking for a franchisee, are you looking, Nicole, for someone who has experience in this industry? Not necessarily, Linda. Um, I, I say to everyone that I'm working with, number one, we welcome all professional backgrounds. Um, you do not need to have uh, medical experience or a medical background to, um, to come into franchise ownership with Griswold Home Care. Um, what we do look for, however, is someone with a high degree of empathy and compassion. You know, someone who wants to get into a profitable business, profitable industry, um, but at the same time, they want to get into this business for the right reasons. Um, so that's really um, something really important when we're uh, working with in, in this business. Yeah, and so what type of, if, say, I'm looking at your franchise, I don't have any, I came out of banking, guys. I don't have any knowledge around the, uh, the elder care. Uh, I don't have any knowledge around, you know, the disabled uh, community out there. What kind of training are you going to put me through? So if I, I'll, I'll jump in on that if you want me to, Nicole. Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah, I think the the beauty of the, of the franchise is that you know you're you're able to be trained on the processes and procedures that have created success. So regardless of whether you come from a banking background or an engineering background or a sales background or an IT background, for example, to Nicole's point, the common theme is that you want to do more than just earn a living. That you want to make a difference, you know, in the in the people in your community that you want to be able to give back. So that little bit of that higher calling at whatever point you are in your career. You know, if you're a banker and you're coming into this, then what you need to know is how home care runs, you know, what licensure is required, you know, what, uh, what processes you follow for recruiting caregivers or for acquiring clients, you know, what systems you use to track, you know, uh, you know your business, you know, like, a, you know, a, a CRM system, a 
uh, customer re uh, relations management type of system that you would use. Um, those things that you don't know um, are important for the franchise company to possess and to train you on. What, what they can't train you on is your business acumen. That comes from your background. That's what they're looking for. They can't train you on how you manage your money or your credit. That you have to have done well, and they're going to look for those kinds of things. You know, they can't, they can't create success or progression in your career. That you have to bring with you, whether it's in banking or engineering or IT as an example. But, you know, in terms of how to run the day-to-day -day operations of a business, that's what you rely on the franchise for. So that's what your training is. It's all from we, – we break it into really two components. We, we have our client continuum. And we have our caregiver continuum. And when we train franchise owners, everything that happens in those two continuums, from generating the lead in the first place, whether it's a client or a caregiver, to what happens throughout the, the life cycle of that client or the life cycle of that caregiver, is trained to you uh, as long as you have, you know, enough intelligence and a good business acumen and you have those other intangibles. Uh, the system that you learn can be trained into you regardless of background. How long is the training? It really depends yeah. on on the state that uh, the business would be operating in um, because, uh, you know, you can't really operate the business until you have that business license. That's one of the first things that we would do with an individual um, in our launch process. But training would take about two months. Mike, correct me if I'm wrong. Well, yeah, for clarity purposes, and Nicole's not wrong in her answer, the, the actual training to learn the continuums that I just mentioned, you know, where you would come to a, our home care academy, that's a two-week training course at our corporate office or virtually if we're not able to be on site during the pandemic. That's a two-week course. Uh, there's other things that Nicole's factoring in, uh, pre-course work and post-course work, that might add, you know, a month on the front end or two weeks or a month on the back end. So overall, and Nicole's right, it's going to be about a two-ish month process, but the, the actual training to learn the, the components of operating the business day-to-day, -day, that's a two-week training course. Okay. Now, okay, so I've been through your training. My next question is, where do I find caregivers? Yeah, that's the that's the that's the great question everybody wants to solve for. So, um, <laughs> there's a caregiver pool in any community we operate in. Uh, we all know them. We all see them out and about every day when we you know when we were living our lives normally pre-pandemic, and we mm -hmm. were going to the, to the supermarket or going you know to the library or to the park. We always would see people that were you know in a cared situation with a personal attendant that we would go, we would be able to say, oh, that person's probably a caregiver for that other individual. Um, so there's every community we serve has a caregiver population. It's just knowing where to get them and how to attract them. Um, and that's part of what you get trained on in that caregiver continuum in the two weeks training. But um, they come from every community. Some are, some are born and raised there. And, and they're born to serve. Others come from remote areas around the world that have come to America to, to live this dream here and have the freedoms and the democracy that we so much enjoy and to be able to make a, a, a living wage so that they can not only support themselves here, 
but also send money back home to support families mm-hmm. that, they, that they need to come to America. Um, but these communities, you know, have a great variety of ethnic groups that we work with that are naturally born uh, to, to provide caregiving services. So it's just being able to locate them based on your certain community, um, ver- based on various techniques that you've been trained in which to, to find them, and then obviously to, to take them through a process uh, right up to uh, getting them started on a case. So you know what my next question is? My next question is, how do I find clients? Yeah, I mean, Nicole, you want to you want to take a stab at it, and then I'll follow up if I need to. Yeah, absolutely. So there is the good old fashioned. There's two two ways really. Uh, the good old fashioned, you know, marketing yourself, calling on different uh, healthcare facilities, if you will, hospital systems, nursing homes, skilled rehab facilities, um, and really building relationships with those individual uh, units because they're going to become referral sources for you. Um, and so that's the one way. And then we also have digital leads. So um, Mike, I mean, you know a lot more about our digital lead program than I do. So I'm not going to um, dive too much into that. I'll kind of deflect to you on that one. <laughs> sure, sure. So uh, there's basically three large buckets in which we source potential clients out of. One is we'll call it the referral source bucket that Nicole had mentioned. And, you know, the referral source bucket is multifaceted. I mean, you can start in the healthcare space. So it could be hospitals, could be skilled nursing facilities, rehabs, you know, assisted living facilities, independent living facilities, you know, continuing care, retirement communities, hospice, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on. Uh, but it also has health and disease organizations in there, government organizations like, you know, as an example, as an example, Area Agency on Aging, Adult Protective Services. Like, so you have the whole referral source bucket that goes in the health arena, and then it goes outside the health arena. It could be in the financial services arena, uh, could be uh, elder law attorneys, estate planners. That list goes on and on, but that's, that's one major bucket in which you would find clients. And then the second bucket would be, as Nicole said, through the social world, whether you're, you know, advertising on LinkedIn or Facebook or you're using Twitter as an example. Um, and then, of course, your, 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 your website's important to that because you want to maximize your website uh, for organic traffic. But also, you want to, if you want, you can add a paid component to uh, lead generation in the, in the uh, social world. And so uh, everything social or digital becomes the second uh, category. And then the third category would fall, which is a big category, by the way, so it's, it's not last for a reason, but word of mouth. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of our businesses are built on word of mouth. Once you have a reputation, once you gain testimonials or referrals, both through your clients that you serve or caregivers that are working for you, you tend to uh, get other families and caregivers coming to you through referral, and that, that word-of-mouth bucket becomes really, really important. So those are the three categories that we would be maximizing in order to generate leads for our business. So, guys, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this is a big market, and it's in high demand. Um, what makes Griswold stand out? Because I don't have to tell you, you've got a little bit of competition out there. So what would make you stand out? What can a, would a franchisee uh, see different or 
uh, why would they go with Griswold? Yeah, I can sure. take that, Linda. Oh, Mike, did you want to take it? I'm sorry. <laughs> Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, the the big thing that makes us stand out, Linda, is our almost 40 year history. Uh, Griswold uh-huh. Home Care was the very first non medical home care franchise, um, and the, you know, in in 1984, our founder Jean Griswold, she is credited as the pioneer of this industry. She was an amazing woman. She had this insight and foresight back actually in 1982 to get into the non-medical home care arena. And then two years later, by demand, she began franchising this opportunity in 1984. Um, And so, yes, I know today we all look at the projections, um, but she started this company long before people were worried about industry projections or trying to calculate growth in the industry. Um, she really started this company for the right reasons. So that mm. is definitely something unique to Griswold Home Care. Um, a few other reasons. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, um, so another uh, different differentiator, if you will, for, for Griswold Home Care is um, our, our large territory sizes and the fact that our territories are protected. When I say that, I'm saying that we give buyers the opportunity really to maximize the revenue growth by um, giving the largest possible territories available in the industry. And how uh, large, what are the size of those oh, territories, Nicole? Yeah, so a standard territory consists of a population of 250,000 people. And we okay. break down demographics. So um, any buyer would receive a full demographic and income report. Uh, looking at the demographics is very important to determine viability of the area as well. Mm-hmm. You want to ensure mm-hmm. just two very important things, obviously age. Um, you want to ensure that there's an appropriate number of age 65 plus while they're, uh, they're not the only population that can receive our services. Um, you know, it, it's important to ensure that there is an appropriate number of, of seniors mm-hmm. in an area. And uh, the other big one that we look at is median income. Um, mm-hmm that becomes important because our services are primarily private pay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Very good. So, guys, so, um, well, is this a um, – Mike, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, because I, I, I really like where uh, Nicole went on that, and she could, she could add to that uh, we have the lowest fees in the industry as well, which would be very attractive to a buyer. But I wanted to go a little different direction Absolutely. because, you know, when you're talking about competition – you know, assuming that somebody bought our franchise versus a competitor franchise, you're not wrong in that there's probably 70 franchise companies out there that do what we do. I think one of the biggest things that I touched upon earlier, but I'll frame it a little bit differently, uh, is the approach to care uh, with this particular company that I don't see with other companies. And that is that um, when, when, we, when we look to differentiate in the home, we, we're with, you know, referral sources for lead generation, we talk about our umbrella approach to care, which is integrating not just our services, but integrating technology, integrating uh, mental wellness, integrating, um, you know, uh, uh, biometric tracking, things that are important that provide outcomes. And so I think one of the major things I've noticed with uh, a lot of great companies that we compete with in this industry is most people promote their services. Here's what we do. Uh, here's how great we do it. Um, nobody really talks about outcomes. 
uh, and client satisfaction. Nobody talks about how, at the end of the day, Griswold Home Care will meet the outcomes that you're looking for. Oh, and by the way, we have the same services as our other competitors, but here's what we add to it, a telehealth program, a virtual program, a mental wellness program, things that are more inclusive and integrated to making sure that at the end of the day, the clients we serve are getting what they ultimately want, which is a happy day, a satisfied day, and the best version of what that day could look like in their world as they age. And that's a real difference philosophically in how we approach care in the home. And if I was talking to somebody uh, about this franchise opportunity, the things I would do is exactly what Nicole did, was share all those great things that differentiate us in terms of territory sizes, because that's your ability to succeed, your fee structure, because that's your ability to ramp up and get to break even faster, but also the service side and the approach we take on the service side. So I, I wanted to add that component because I, I think that's a, a huge component to how this company differentiates itself. Yeah, all of those are really good points. And like you said, uh, I can see where it certainly uh, differentiates you from the others out there. One last question before we go to commercial break here. Is this a home-based business? It, it, it is not. It's a home. Yeah, thank you. Go ahead, <laughs> go ahead Mike. No, no, you go. Please, you go. No, it's it's not, Linda. Um, you know, a franchisee needs to operate a small office space. Uh, mm-hmm. It does not need to be anything incredibly elaborate. Uh, I talk to everybody, maybe a thousand square feet. Um, the reason that it's not home based is because uh, caregiver recruitment is something that will be a daily occurrence in the day to day of the business. And caregivers are going to be coming to you interviews, and sometimes they don't have access to a computer, and so they'll be coming to your office to complete their trainings online, et cetera. Um, and so it, for, for having that professional work environment, a small office space, um, that is what we recommend. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't have to be in a high-traffic zone either, does it? Well, Linda, you, you'd, want to be, you'd want to be where the caregivers or access to caregivers are. So, right. Uh, maybe higher traffic, depending on the marketplace, it may not be. But the other thing that, that I wanted to touch upon because uh, caregiver recruitment is a major, major thing. It, it's the greatest commodity we have as a business. But also, Google has gotten so sophisticated with their algorithms that if you're putting a website up there that has a home address, you're just not going to rank because uh, they'll right. flag your website. And so, you know, it wasn't our choice to go home-based. We started as a home-based business, but over the years, as Google has gotten smarter and as they've uh, changed, as I said, their algorithm, algorithms, they have made it much more difficult now for a home-based business to be found. And so we've, we've made, it, uh, made a decision to move to an office space, albeit small office space to start, yeah. uh, so that we legitimate businesses can be found on the Internet for, for lead generation. Yeah, yeah, definitely makes sense. i tell you what, guys, I need to take a quick commercial break here, but I love stories. Do you happen to have any stories you could share with us when we come back from commercial? Sure. Very good. Uh, Folks, stay tuned. We're going to take a quick little commercial break, and we'll be right back. House Talk Radio. Join Tony and Wendy Gambone on House Talk Radio, where they talk all things house. From tips on home repairs and remodeling to best practices on buying and selling a home, hiring contractors, home loans, and insurance, as well as decorating ideas and how to get the most bang for your buck. 
you would like more information about House Talk Radio, go to housetalkradio.com. Are you dreaming of owning your own business but just don't know where to begin? The wait is now over. Linda Ballesteros is a catalyst to becoming a business owner through franchising. Whether you are looking to create a living that will allow you to leave corporate America, change your lifestyle, allowing you to enjoy the fun things in life, or if you're looking to build a legacy that will support your family for years to come. Contact Linda today to start the process of being your own boss. Linda at EmpowerFranchiseConsulting.com, 832-640-4922. Hey folks, welcome back to All Things Franchising. We are talking about the elder care and uh, uh, disability services industry. So, um, Mike, I think you mentioned that you might have a story that you can share with us. I do, and it's, it's, it's maybe my all-time favorite. I, like I said, I've been around uh, the franchising industry for a long time, and there's a lot of stories, many which I forget without being prompted, but one that will always stick in my mind is one that uh, happened about nine, maybe nine years ago or so. Uh, I happened to personally be working with a candidate uh, that was looking at Griswold Home Care and some other home care companies. At the end of the process, uh, this individual uh, ended up purchasing a Griswold Home Care franchise, and uh, we became friends, and we remain friends today. But maybe because of the story, uh, we remain friends. But um, great man. Uh, very accomplished in his background uh, and his experiences of why we wanted him, uh, had this burning desire to make a difference. And he, he goes through our training and he opens up his business just like everybody does. And, you know, we're trying to help him succeed. And, you know, he gets to about a year into the business and he calls me on the phone uh, and he says to me, um, I'm paraphrasing, uh, Mike, I'm in trouble. Um, about, 90 days out, max, uh, and then I don't see the light. I'm not going to make it. What are you going to do for me? And, I, and, he said it, and he said it in a way, it was like, okay, you brought me in. Uh, you told me I would be successful. Uh, so what are you going to do for me now? So we had a conversation, and I'm asking about what he's doing and how he's doing things, and he's sharing his story with me. And I remember that the one thing that he said to me was, I'm, he said it exactly this way. I'm doing everything you guys trained me to do, and it's not working. That, that was his exact quote. I will never forget those words. I'm doing everything you guys trained me to do, and it's not working. So we started examining what it was that he was doing. And that, in, in, that, in that examination, he was saying to me, look, I'm getting into all the referral sources. Every week I go out, I make my, my calls, I build my relationships. They all let me in. They spend a half hour with me. We talk. We laugh. I have a great relationship, but they don't send me business. Uh, and I said to him, uh, well, have you asked them why? Like, why do they let you in? Why do they spend time? These are, these are professionals in the healthcare space that don't have a ton of time. Have you ever asked them why they don't send you business? And he said, no. I said, well, why don't you ask them why? And so that's where it started. And as we began talking about that process, what he should be asking and why they're not doing business with him, um, that conversation was probably another half hour. And then I committed to spending uh, a field operations person to spend a week with him uh, going around, one, observing him and what he does, and then, two, 
you know, demonstrating how they would go about navigating and the questions they might ask. And uh, at the end of that process, uh, after that week, he called me a few weeks later and said to me that things are picking up, that business is getting better. Uh, and about a, a year later or close to a year when I saw him at conference, uh, he said to me that uh, he sees not only the light at the end of the tunnel, but his business is really growing, and that was nine years ago. And now he oh. his wife, and he's semi-retired, um, and he's living the dream that he thought he would live. But he wasn't going to live that dream nine years ago when he couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, you know, Mike, that's a perfect example of why someone plugs into a franchise because if he had tried to do that on his own, he would have gotten the same results and he would have quit somewhere along the way. But by being part of a franchise, you can raise that flag. That was the perfect thing for him to do is to raise his hand and say, guys, I need some help pays for the franchise for, don't you think? Absolutely. It's, it's why Absolutely. I, I jokingly, in some ways, jokingly up front, said we're friends today. It's because that call and the results of that call is what really created a long-lasting friendship between him and I because he is doing exactly what he wants to do on his terms now. His business is doing well. Um, and you know what? Uh, he, he, he will tell you today he got what he paid for, and that's exactly mm-hmm. what you would hope to get when you join a credible mm-hmm. franchise company. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Um, guys, before we go any further, can you, if somebody's listening right now and they are really drawn to um, the concept that you're, that you're painting here for Griswold um, and they want to know more, how would they find out more information? Nicole, can you give them how they would do that? Absolutely. Um, you can always visit our website. It is griswoldhomecare.com. Uh, but as you mentioned at the top of the hour, um, I am the Franchise Development Manager with Griswold Home Care, and I'm happy to provide my direct contact information um, so that mm-hmm. anyone at any time can feel free to reach out to me. Uh, my cell phone number is 267-547-0452, or you can reach me, uh, you can text that number as well, or you can reach me via email. My email is N-I-C-O-L-E at griswoldhomecare.com. So please feel Wonderful. free to reach out anytime. Very good. And, and so we're down to the uh-huh. – go ahead, Mike. Add real quick, um, the griswoldhomecare.com is a consumer site. If you wanted to bypass that and get right to the franchise development website, it's the same thing, griswoldhomecare.com forward slash franchising. Very good. So we're down to those final three questions. The first one is, if there's someone listening who's considering purchasing a franchise, what would you suggest that they do to prepare for the process? Yeah, so I'll, I'll take that one. It's a, that's a big question. It's a very important question. I'm going to stay high level, Linda, on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's, a, there's a, a few things you have to think through. One, you know, is business ownership right for you? And not, it's not right for everybody. So, you know, uh, you would want to make the decision, one, that business is right for you because, you know, people that work jobs like the security of a job. And when you go buy a business, as successful as a franchise company may be, as branded as it may be, um, you know, as, as good as the support may be, uh, if you've never been at the top 
where you were the leader or owner uh, and you didn't have a great circle of influence or business influence around you, it becomes very lonely there and very, very difficult. Uh, and so I would say make sure you have a good circle of influence around you, maybe a good accounting person that you could go to. And, 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 and you may not have them today, but think about this. Have a good accounting person to go to. Maybe have an attorney that you could go to. You know, have a, a good business person that you might know that you would trust their business acumen to bounce questions off of beyond what you can get from the franchise company. I'm talking about who I would want as my circle of influence around me before I go into a business. So I want to make sure I have that circle of influencers there that I could, um, you know, rely on if I needed to. I want to make sure, obviously, that I'm financially uh, well-heeled. It's not just about whether I can afford whatever the franchise is I'm buying, but I've got to be able to look at this business and say if it took me two years to ramp up, the business, um, do I have, you know, enough access to capital or liquidity to be able to pay my bills on a day-to-day -day basis or month-to-month -month basis to meet my personal expenses so I can live like I live today and still be able to ramp up this business uh, and grow the business if it took me a year or two years, whatever it might be based on the franchise concept you might buy. Make sure you can meet your personal expenses. So when I say financially healed, not just your ability to afford the business, but your ability to meet all of your personal expenses while the business is ramping up would be another really important factor in deciding whether I wanted to buy into a franchise. And then, of course, you know, do your research. You know, figure out what it is that's most important to you. I call them uh, my non-negotiables. If I was going to buy a business, I would want X, Y, and Z. And whatever X, Y, and Z are, are your non-negotiables. And as you begin researching franchises, I have to see those non-negotiables in the franchises I'm looking at. And if they don't have it, then it's a knockout. I move on. Because ultimately, if they don't have what's most important to me, I'm not going to work for it. I'm not going to be as dedicated to it, or I'm not going to fight through the struggles early on as you're ramping up a business uh, if, if they're not there. I mean, I've got to have a real reason and purpose for doing what I'm doing. And don't negotiate against your non-negotiables. Um, and do your research. I mean, you know, it, you don't have to research 20 companies. You just got to identify the non-negotiables, the industry that you might be interested in that would help you achieve that and then identify, you know, a company or two within that industry and begin going through the due diligence process. And if you do those things, you'll be prepared going into the search. And then, of course, during the search, you've got to really understand and learn about what that company is, what creates success. I, I always look at it from two, from two perspectives. People go into the due diligence process either looking for reasons to buy and they will look for those reasons, or they'll be looking for reasons not to buy, and they look for mm -hmm. those reasons as well. And we try to help mm -hmm. people understand that by going into a mindset of looking for reasons not to buy, you'll never buy, because there will always right. be reasons, yellow flags or red flags, that you will hear that goes, okay, I'm not going to take that risk. But if you're looking for reasons to buy, then what you'll learn are the things you need to be aware of, the challenges, any obstacles, the things that cause those challenges or obstacles, 
and know how to work around them by talking with successful people and say, here's how you get around those obstacles or here's how you address those obstacles. People looking for reasons to buy will find their way into a business if they're, if they're risk tolerant enough to buy a business. Sure. Very good advice. So, Nicole, next question is, what are two traits that make a successful franchisee? Yeah, thanks, Linda. Um, and honestly, before we talk about su- succeeding, um, and I know this isn't a trait, but it's important to ensure that someone is resourced properly. Um, mm-hmm. the, the two reasons that a business businesses fail is undercapitalization, and the second is ego. Um, we'll talk about the latter in a second, but it's incredibly important not to be under-resourced. Um, uh-huh. Now, let's talk about ego. So there's pros and cons to ego, and ego manifests itself in, in many different traits. Um, and ego drives you to succeed, and, and ego will drive you to invest in a business when 90% of the population, they won't go on to do that. Um, however, you... You have to be comfortable enough to put your ego aside if things aren't going how you'd like them to go um, and allow the, the franchisor to provide you with support. Um, I think the story that Mike shared uh, about our franchisee, that is the perfect example of someone who put their ego aside and said, I need some help. I need some guidance here. Um, so ego, you know, it, it like I said, it. It has its pros and cons, but um, you definitely need an ego to move forward, but you have to be prepared as well if things aren't going your way to put that aside. Um, and then the second, trait, the second trait that I would really go with um, uh, to garner success is commitment. Um, you have to be a committed person. Um, and when I say that, I mean specifically to the system that you purchase. Follow the basics of the system. Don't try to recreate the wheel. Um, that's really important as well. And, Nicole, I think that part of uh, don't try to create the wheel, I think that still points back to ego because it, if someone can, comes yeah. in and says, you know, I think I, I know a better way than you guys. I know you guys have been doing mm-hmm. this for, you know, a couple of years, but, you, you know, I really know a better way to do that. So they have to put that aside, don't they? Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better yeah. myself. Yeah. So, okay. Um, the final question that I'd like for each of you to share uh, your answers on this. And the question is, what does the future of franchising look like? Mike, you want to take that first? Sure. Sure. It's a, it's a great question. And, and, and it might be, I might've answered it differently a year ago than I did, than I do right now uh, coming uh, through a pandemic that we're still in and trying to find our way to navigate uh, so I, I want to be very, very transparent to say franchising in many, in many ways is, has had its struggles, but it's a huge, huge driver of the economy, franchising in general. Uh, this economy uh, is uh, the gross domestic product in this country is fed by franchising. So when you look at franchising as a whole, pandemic aside, because franchises will always adjust. And uh, if there's different ways a year from now we need to operate because of the results of this pandemic, then franchising will find its way around that to figure out how to operate uh, in the new world that we live in. But the future looks bright because um, there's so much opportunity. There's so many avenues 
that can that you can go. I think the the, the, the great thing about franchising is that you know it's a delivery system for goods and services, and that's why it's such a economic driver in this country. And when you think about franchising as a delivery system for goods and services, that that speaks to uh, rural areas, that speaks to suburban areas, that speaks to urban areas. Uh, they're just drivers, and it's how people are used to shopping. I think most people that shop for goods and services uh, many times don't even know they're working with or dealing with or buying from a franchise company. But, you know, this, this industry of franchising isn't getting any smaller. It continues to grow, uh, and I don't see how that's going to stop any time in the, in the near future, even as we look out over the next, I'll just say, 25 years or longer. Right, right. Nicole, do you have anything to add to that? I don't. Mike Mike said it best, and I really don't want to repeat exactly what he just said, but, um, yeah, yeah I, I don't have anything to add. Thanks, Linda. <laughs> so so one of the things that I, um, I meant to ask you guys earlier, and maybe, Nicole, you can address this, is how has the pandemic impacted the way that you support your franchisees? How has it impacted the way you deliver your service? Um. Mike actually might be better to answer that than me, um, just because he has more contact and experience with the operations, the day-to-day mm-hmm. of um, our business. I can tell you from, um, you know, since the pandemic, our system overall, we saw a drop in the business, primarily in March and April. Um, and since then, we've been trending back up. Um, mm-hmm. But Mike, if there's something else, that you want to sure. add to that. I mean, to me, that I think that's quite an accomplishment for the challenges mm-hmm. that were faced early on, obviously. Um, you know, many of our franchisees, they, they experienced that challenge early on in the beginning, but I think Mike can definitely answer how we supported them throughout. I think if you talk about our system specifically, because, Linda, we're a, a 38-year-old company, um, we, we look at the, when we look at the law of, uh, what is it, what does he call it? Um, the law of diffusion of innovation, I think is how Simon Sinek uh, calls it. And we have a, we have, you know, our innovators and early adopters and we have our early majority and late majority. And there's a lot of folks after 38 years that were used to being paper. Um, they weren't used to necessarily adopting technology I didn't need to. Their businesses are well established, and they 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 put their kids through colleges, and they they've lived the American dream. But I think one of the biggest things the pandemic has done was forced everybody to adopt technology. So where you know maybe you weren't using DocuSign or some automated process for paperwork uh, signing paperwork, today we are, and our system is. Uh, is operating that way. Uh, Today, under the pandemic, where we would have done field visits operationally, we're now doing virtual visits operationally. Uh, Today, in the pandemic, um, we're doing virtual recruiting and virtual, uh, you know, visits with clients, uh, as well as the in-person stuff, depending on the comfort of the team or the family that we're looking to serve. So I think what the pandemic has done for us is just added a, a, a virtual component and a technology component, or I don't want to say it added it. I would say it has exponentially speeded up that process to be operating mm-hmm. that way. Uh, other than that, though, I think Nicole said it best. I mean, we are really, really fortunate. This industry, I think when I talk to a lot of the folks that I know, 
uh, I'll call them frenemies or friendly competitors that we have in this space. Everybody saw a dip in March and April, and for the most part of the people I speak to, everybody's come back strong in May, and they continue to grow their businesses. In fact, they're growing at better pace now than they were prior to the pandemic because a lot of families have pulled people out of the institutional settings because of the experiences they've had, and now they're caring for them in the home, where before they would have taken them out of the home and put them into an institutional setting. So we're seeing business that way during a time when a lot of other industries have seen, you know, shutdowns and closures. So uh, I think that's the biggest area is the adoption of technology. Yeah, most definitely. So, guys, we're down to the end of the show. One more time, how would someone get in touch with you and find out more information about Griswold? They can contact me directly, Linda. Uh, You know, as Mike had mentioned earlier on, you can go to our website, which is Griswold Home Care forward slash franchising, uh, or you can contact me, like I said, directly. My cell phone is 267-0452. Please feel free to call me anytime or shoot me a text message. You can also email me at Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E, at GriswoldHomeCare.com. Wonderful. Guys, thanks so much for being on the show today. I I love what you're doing, and it is clearly you're doing something right because you've been around for a while. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you, Linda. You're welcome. So, you know, folks, I always leave you with a quote, and today is no different. So my quote today is actually one one that um, was quoted by Rosalind Carter. And if you remember correctly, she was a former first lady when Jimmy Carter, President Jimmy Carter, was uh, president of the U.S. So the quote goes like this. There are only four kinds of people in the world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need to have a caregiver. Folks, thanks so much for joining me today on All Things Franchising. And we'll see you next time. Another great episode of All Things Franchising is now in the books. You can listen to past shows by following All Things Franchising on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for joining us today. And be sure not to miss us next time when we bring you a brand new episode of All Things Franchising.